That night, Max was sent to his room, and the walls became the world all around. This is a line from Maurice Sendak's beloved children's book, Where the Wild Things Are. And the walls became the world all around. The book is a classic. And it's not only a classic because it features remarkable drawings and fascinating characters. It's a classic because it plums the depths of human emotion. For here's a child sent to his room to calm down. And here in this room, alone with his anger and with his fear and with his resentment, he must figure out how to deal with it. And here's what happens. Here in his room, the walls become the world all around. And so soon, Max begins to explore this imagined world, a world complete with wild things that he must face, a world in which, come the book's end, Max ultimately finds peace, peace with himself, peace with his emotions, peace with whatever comes next. Now, the book is, of course, far more complex than that, but at its core, that's what this book is. The walls for Max become the world all around, and by facing the wild things in this world, Max ultimately finds peace. It's a wonderful little book, repeatedly named the best children's picture book of all time, And here's why I bring it up this morning. I bring it up this morning because it strikes me that Max's experience, Max's experience of being isolated in his room and forced to reflect upon himself and his situation and his emotions, well, it strikes me this morning that Max's experience is quite resonant with our own experience one month into this COVID-19 lockdown. For, like Max, we find ourselves confined to our homes where the walls have become the world all around. And like Max, we feel a range of emotions about this. And like it or not, these are emotions we are forced to reckon with and come to terms with. You know, like Max did. And so I bring up this classic children's book this morning because I think it provides us a colorful and helpful window through which to look at our present situation. But that's not the only reason I bring up where the wild things are this morning. No, I also bring it up this morning because along with giving us a window into our present situation... I think it also gives us a window into the disciples' situation in John chapter 20. For like Max, the disciples in John chapter 20 are gathered in a house where, according to the text, quote, the doors were locked for fear. The doors were locked for fear. Here they are, angry about Christ's crucifixion, Resentful of the masses who'd called for it and the authorities who'd signed off on it. 
afraid of what further trouble might be coming their own way. And so here they are trapped in a room because of it. Now make no mistake, they didn't want to be trapped in this locked room. They didn't want to be alienated from the world all around them. They simply felt they had no other choice. And so here they are huddled together where the walls have become for them the world all around. Now because John chapter 20 is the part of John's gospel that narrates Christ's resurrection and because the passage therefore carries with it a mood of anticipation and ultimately amazement and joy and wonder, Because of that, we tend to read right past this small part of the story, this part where the disciples are gathered for fear in that locked house. And because we do, we therefore fail to consider the mood they are experiencing in this present moment. That is to say, we anticipate as we read the text the arrival of Christ there in their midst because we've read the story and we know what's coming. And thus, because we do, we fail to attend to the disciples' state of being prior to his appearance. Am I right about that? Well, I'd invite us to not do that today. For today, it's more important than ever that we don't just leap straight to the appearance. Today, it's more important than ever that we attend to the emotions these disciples are experiencing as they sit, quote, shut in for fear. Why, you ask, is it more important today that we attend to this? Well, it's more important today because today we too sit, quote, shut in for fear. For fear of a pernicious virus. For fear of what may come on account of it. For fear of the unknown that surrounds it. And moreover, like those disciples, and for that matter, like Max from the children's book, We're not only afraid as we sit shut in, but we're also angry and resentful. We're angry about what this forced isolation is doing to us and to our communities and to our economy and to our relationships. And thus we are resentful of the whole experience. We know it's necessary, yet still we're angered by it and we resent it. And so today, as we read John chapter 20, it is more vital than ever that we not read right past the disciples sitting in that locked room without first attending to their state of being as they sit here. Because here's the thing. Only if we reckon with the reality of the emotion they are experiencing in the first place can we then fully understand the implications of Christ's words when suddenly he appears to them in the midst of it? Only if we recognize that like Max and like us, 
the walls had become for these disciples, the world all around. And only if we recognize that like Max and like us, these disciples were fearful and angry and resentful because of it, only then can we understand the full significance of what Christ means when he appears to them in the midst of it in this moment and says to them, peace to you. Hold that thought for a minute. Let me read to you right now the words I wrote to our church one month ago when first we suspended our worship gatherings. Now I can assure you that this will mark the first time I've ever quoted myself in a sermon, but hey, these are strange times, right? On March 12th, I wrote to you this, and I quote, As the panic of this moment intensifies, and as societal consensus surrounding the situation remains elusive, I invite you to remember this. In his final speech to his disciples before his crucifixion, and then in his first words to his disciples upon his resurrection, Jesus offered the same words of comfort and hope. Peace to you. So while we may be temporarily suspending our services, the peace of Christ is a reality that can never, neither in good times nor in bad, be suspended. For it is the fundamental reality that animates creation, and it is the wellspring of our identity as Christians, Christ's peace to us. I'm done quoting myself now. Now I read you these month-old words today, and I set them alongside these 2,000-year-old words today, because today, as we watch Jesus appear to his disciples in this locked room, in this room where the walls have become the world all around, in this room where they sit wrestling with their feelings of fear and anger and resentment, I read these words today so as to remind us that these words that Christ offers here upon his resurrection are not novel to them. That these are the same words he offered them just before their crucifixion. And thus I read these words to remind us that circumstances cannot steal from us the peace of Christ. Because the peace of Christ is not merely an emotion but is instead a state of being. Here now in John chapter 20 as Jesus appears to his disciples in this locked room and says to them, peace to you, he is not encouraging them how to feel. He's giving them the gift of possibility. The possibility of looking at that outside world, at the world that is causing them such fear and anger and resentment. Here Jesus is giving them the possibility of looking at this world with calm and confidence and hope. When Jesus appears to them and says, peace to you, he doesn't mean, see, now that I'm resurrected, you have no reason to feel fear and anger and resentment anymore or any other negative emotion. No, instead, when he appears to them and says, peace to you, he means, see, 
Death cannot hold me. See, suffering cannot hold me. Darkness and despair and injustice cannot hold me. For see, I have overcome all of these things. And because I have and because you now see that I have. Here, touch my side. Touch my hand. See, now that you see that I have, you can now trust that while these other things are real, they are not ultimate. They do not have the final word. I do. See, they are not the ultimate power. I am. Christ upon his resurrection does not promise his disciples the sudden cessation of violence and victimization, of darkness and despair, of tragedy and trauma, of struggle and sorrow. No, instead he offers them peace amid it. The resurrected Christ's offer of peace to his disciples is the incarnate God's way of saying, Be still, my beloved. Be still and know that I am God. And that leads me to verse 26 of this same passage. Yet another aspect of this passage that we tend to read right past. Verse 26 picks up the story a week later. And if the appearance of the resurrected Christ had suddenly allayed all fear and anger and resentment for the disciples, if suddenly upon beholding the reality of the risen Christ, they were no longer supposed to feel bound by the realities of the world outside, if so, then no longer would they feel the need to remain huddled behind a locked door, right? If that's what Christ's peace to them meant, then they would be out frolicking in the streets, out shouting from the rooftops that all was well. But watch what verse 26 tells us. A week later, it begins. A week later, and I'm quoting, his disciples were again in the house, And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace to you. You catch that phrase? Although the doors were shut. Still, even after their encounter with the risen Christ, even after his words to them of peace, still, here they are a week later, still shut in that same room for fear. And so here yet again, Christ offers them those same words. Peace to you. Peace to you. Let me begin drawing us to a close with a story. Shortly after college, I underwent an experience that left me deeply angry and resentful and afraid. Now, I won't go into the details now, if for no other reason than that it's very personal. But suffice it to say, it was a very hard experience for me. And because of the way that I had been formed theologically, I was of the impression that as a Christian... 
I ought to be able to just dispense with emotions like these, with feelings of anger and resentment and fear. If I really believed, I reasoned, then my experiences in this passing world ought not to be able to affect me in these ways, at least not for long. And so I wrestled for quite some time with the reality of these emotions and with the shame of feeling that in some way their presence in my life gave lie to my faith. But then one day, one pivotal day, I was talking to a pastor and I opened up to him about what I'd been wrestling with and after reflecting for a moment he very softly and very kindly said to me you know Austin believing in Jesus doesn't mean you suddenly have control over every emotion you feel and it certainly doesn't mean that in this life you won't have trouble In fact, Jesus literally says, in this life you will have trouble. No, this pastor went on to believe in Jesus is to believe that no matter what befalls you, that God's love will get the final word. And if we believe this, he said to me, if we really believe it, the peace we receive from believing it is not the shallow peace of no longer feeling negative emotions, but is instead the substantive peace of being able to face these emotions with calm and with confidence and with hope. And then he concluded by saying, Austin, to trust in the resurrection is to be able to be still amid the storm knowing all the while that you're not God, but that God is. To be still amid the storm, trusting that you're not God, but that God is. Let me bring us to a close. In Acts chapter 2, which chronologically speaking takes place weeks after the events of John chapter 20, in Acts chapter 2 we see those same disciples who were previously locked in their room for fear now standing confidently in the street, now proclaiming the news of the risen Christ. The time had now come when they were comfortable leaving the house. The time had now come when they were ready to face the world outside. But let us never imagine that their confidence was such that they had dispensed with all anger and fear and resentment. They hadn't. And let us never imagine that the peace that they carried with them was the shallow peace of being impervious to all unwanted emotions. It wasn't. No, the peace that compelled them forward, the power that inspired the formation of the early church was not an inoculation against emotion, but was rather an infusion of a peculiar calm. It was the God-given, God-breathed capacity to be still amid the storm, knowing that they were not God, but trusting that God is. 
in a moment when the walls had become the world all around for them, the peace of the risen Christ was what steadied and sustained them. And so, dear friends, today when our own walls have temporarily become the world all around, may the peace of the risen Christ be that which sustains and steadies us as well. The day will surely come when, like those first disciples, the power of Christ's Spirit will inspire us to leave our houses and face our fears of the world outside. But today is not that day nor is it supposed to be. Instead, like Max and like the disciples, we must first explore the world within these walls, reckoning with the wild things that haunt. In that wonderful little book, Max ultimately comes to peace with his, comes to peace with his world and with those wild things in it. And in that even more wonderful book, so too do the disciples. Would that we, in this story, we ourselves are living, do the same. Shut in as we are, the risen Christ comes to us today just as surely as he came to those disciples then, saying to us now, peace to you. That is what the risen Christ says to us today. And so too do I today say to you as well, peace to you. Peace to you and be still amid the storm, knowing that you are not God, but trusting that God is. For as my pastor friend says, that is what the joy of the resurrection is all about. Amen.